You're listening to And So I Followed an Alternative Religion podcast with Graham McMillan Mason. Episode 4, Justin Pearson. Welcome back to And So I Followed an Alternative Religion podcast, now at episode 4. So I wanted to start the podcast off, right? Do you know when people say you should never meet your heroes because you'll only be disappointed or they'll not be what you expect them to be? I think I've always sort of believed in that. But to be honest with you, this podcast puts that saying to complete shame. To have Justin Pearson this early in the podcast, like episode four for me is absolutely nuts because Justin's someone that's been... An icon, or well, you know, someone I've looked up to, if you prefer, since I was about 14, uh, when he was in the Locust back in 2001, 2002 era, and he had the Swing Kids before that, and then afterwards, he's also got Retox, Some Girls, Dead Cross, The Crimson Curse, I mean, you can name a band, or you can name an era in sort of punk, and Justin Pearson has had a, like, relevant, good important band that has been saying something and getting him on the podcast is as I say it's completely nuts for me but the best part about the whole podcast was of course I'm a little bit nervous right so I'm a little bit nervous chatting to him what do I say how's he going to come across is it going to be a good one and I'm so pleased we got to have a chat about the social aspect of life in general and his viewpoint on it because He's got so many opinions I agree with, and I think he's just a guy that's completely switched on. Um, His music is another level for me. It really matters to me what he's wrote. I really like what he does, but it makes it better when you know the guy's switched on and fights for, you know, social justice and really understands, you know, the, the lack of privilege some people have and how much they need help, and he's always there to do it. And chatting to him... It made sense to me why he's like that. We go back into the background of him being like a teenager, 13, 14, growing up in San Diego. His early bands, but also his exposure to the the social side of punk, if you prefer, or, or just music in general. All the way up to his thoughts on the current political climate. Um, but I don't want to spoil it too much, if I'm honest with you, because it's better for you just to hear it. But all I'm going to say is it's an absolutely awesome chat from his perspective, from his side. Um, I love chatting to him, and I really think anyone will, even if you haven't heard of his music. Um, if you have, well, you know, we all know how talented the guy is. Regarding if you do enjoy it, though, as always, I'm going to say subscribe. Just go on iTunes, put in Alternative Religion, and it comes up straight away, I found out recently. Um, click the subscribe button and every second Monday, 10 o'clock UK time, you get a brand new podcast, a brand new interview with someone who I look up to and hopefully you look up to and their backstory and everything that you want to hear, I hope. If you're not an Apple user and you prefer Android, I'm on SoundCloud. It's soundcloud.com forward slash CFAR podcast. That's CFAR, S-I-F-A-A-R. And then if you want to go further, because I like chatting, you know, I like getting in touch with people and, and chatting about the podcast and what you liked, what you didn't like, because I think feedback's really essential. And, you know, I'm not 
immune to criticism. Um, I think it's always good if people can tell me what you think I could do better, or even if you, just the people you want to hear me interview. Um, if you go on Facebook, it's just the title of the podcast and the search bar, like the page, message me. I Honestly, I'll guarantee I'll reply. Um, regarding the Twitter page, that's at CFAR underscore podcast. Before I do move on to the podcast, though, this week, I want to say thank you to everyone who listened to the Kevin Devine 10 Questions, the podcast shorts. That went down really well. We've got the interview with Kevin Devine coming up fairly soon, which is obviously already recorded. Um, But Kevin's awesome. Kevin's a great guy. Um, So I'm really pleased that everyone liked listening to sort of his 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 crack his shtick if you prefer um because i certainly do every time i've met kevin he always makes me laugh and leaves me with a smile on the face so the 10 questions was a a nice little thing i wanted to do on top of that thanks so much to everyone who enjoyed the sammy Irwin podcast as well i see a lot of people have been listening to the music side of what he's been releasing recently is uh, regurgitate life have a new album out and also, of course, you've got Employ to Serve with a new album out in May. So yeah, keep that up, because I like Sammy. Great guy. Um, same with Kevin. Absolutely lovely human being. Before I play the conversation with Justin Pearson, what I wanted to do was go through one of the songs of his ginormous catalogue of tracks that he has. Um, it's a song by his band Retox. And it's called Die in Your Own Cathedral. It's a pretty short one, but it's probably my favourite song that Justin's been involved in. And trust me, he's got one hell of a back catalogue. So before we go any further, here's Retox, Die in Your Own Cathedral. Hey, Justin, how are you doing? You okay? Oh, uh, yeah. Hello, yes, I'm great. Awesome, good, good. Um, first and foremost, I mean, if you don't mind, for the people who've been living on the moon for like the past two decades, um, <laughs> if you could give yourself like an introduction in as many or as little words as you like. Well, lucky those people that have been on the moon, I hear that we're <laughs> going to be able to start cruising up there uh, by, the eight, by, by 2018. So um, anyhow, I'm Justin Pearson, and I... Um, I think my relevance to this conversation would be that I run 31G and I play in some bands like Headwind City, Retox, Dead Cross, and Planet B. Yeah, there's quite a few bands, right? It's like 25 <laughs> in total. <laughs> well, I mean, currently, uh, I mean, um, I mean, I guess there's only four that are active, and, and even with that, like only two were really active but anyhow yeah so it's just a bunch of different things yeah i mean 
I think, you know, anyone who's listening to the podcast knows the kind of, knows what I'm going to ask and, and kind of how we're going with it. If they haven't, they can always listen to previous conversations. There's the plug gone and out of the way. Um, but I'm like 30, right? So when I first got into punk or like music, if you will, you were like always like a focal point of it across like every different wave or, or every different scene that kind of came across. You were always like in it you were always at like the forefront of whatever sort of alternative scene if you prefer um and i always thought like from a young age that must be what you intended to do like you've kind of thrown yourself into it into that sort of world since you were like what 15 yeah i started playing in, yeah my first band when i was 15 and like I mean, the work ethic is obviously massive from your like, from your side. We were just saying, like, before, like, you've got, like, four bands at the moment, technically, that are, are kind of current, well, two active, four in total, but there's been so many across, like, what, 20, like, at least two decades, right? Yeah, yeah. But I think, you know, there must have been something that made you kind of, that, that pulled you into that world, if you prefer. Like, what are your earliest memories of, say, without sounding too cheesy here, but, like, falling in love with music and saying, like, that's what I want to do? Sure, yeah. The, no, I think it's it's a cool thing to, to, to sort of look at. Um, yeah. Um, and I guess, like, when when I was when I was really young, I, I remember, like, remember being, like, really young, like, probably five years old or something, and, like, being super into... Um, that stick song, um, Mr. Roboto. And I think probably cause I like the, the robot, like c- kind of connection. And I remember like thinking like, it's so weird that I like music. And I was like kind of embarrassed about it. Um, and then <laughs> I think like, as I got a little bit older, I got into kiss and stuff. And I realized that like, I think it was like sort of like what was happening at the time. And, um, I, I think w- when I first realized that I was like kind of psyched on music and it was something I was into was when I realized that kiss sucked and that I was kind of <laughs> only into them because of like, the sort of look and stuff, you know, yeah. and, and yeah. like a, you know, it was like a, for me, I guess it was kind of like what, like the Power Rangers were or like Ninja Turtles or something. It was like, the, it was like Kiss was kind of like that, but more like, sort of like <laughs> yeah. no, I get where you're um, coming from totally. Yeah. Yeah. And then I remember like in 1984 when, um, that Van Halen record 1984 came out, I was really, really into that. And that was like when I first started realizing that like music was, uh, like a sort of focal point of my interest. And then it just took a little while. I think a lot of it was like I got into skateboarding and then I got into like um, all those thrasher skate rock comps. And that was kind of like my, my my segue to really being into music, um, like not just like as like a listener, but more like kind of involved on a, like a cultural level, I suppose. Because yeah. then I started figuring out what like, without really realizing it, I started realizing or started figuring out like what, like punk ethics were um and then like kind of ethics more so musically because then i realized there was like something very drastic um in in difference between like van halen and um you know some someone like the cramps or something yeah of course and i mean i think i i read somewhere i mean i could be wrong here but like you were like into joy division quite a bit right yeah um i i was and it, that was kind of a weird thing too because i feel like it was like this sort of strange timing because um unbroken also was like everybody from unbroken and 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 struggle and swing kids were kind of like intertwined and so like everybody like all of us were kind of like into like not being um so submerged like into like typical hardcore like so where everyone was listening to like crass or nausea or youth of the day we were kind of like 
into Joy Division or Bauhaus or like the like the dudes in Unbroken were really into Morrissey. So it was it was sort of like a different way to like uh you know like a different style to get yeah. to you know and, and and it was it was like obscure. So that was I mean yeah that ties into like a, a whole other can of worms. But that that was like definitely a, a big influence on on me and a, and a lot of us. Um, but I think more so like it looking back it was like an influence because it wasn't like obvious like it wasn't like you know i was like really into the dead kennedys so you would expect like that kind of like style or even like i don't know because you know a lot of like joy division was, was obviously yeah. like really synth heavy and what oh, they yeah, didn't yeah. have like punk like hair or anything like that so it was no, it was, it was interesting yeah. yeah so i think it was like interesting because a lot of us and especially like my friends and my my bandmates and stuff were drawing, drawing from like all these different avenues um which in a sense was making it without us realizing it whatever we were going to do pretty eclectic or like different you know yeah of course and i mean because i think you grew up around like i don't know if they how right this is like because obviously i don't know but you grew up around like matt anderson and some of the guys from slayer right uh matt anderson from from gravity records yeah 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 i, I did and um i i didn't really grow up with the guys from slayer i when, before I had met Matt Anderson, like that, that, that he and I became friends. Like maybe when I was um, uh, maybe about fourteen um, and fifteen. Um, when when I was fifteen, um, he was in um, well, he was in heroin. And I was playing in this band called um, uh, Brain Tourniquet, and then also he was also in um, End of the Line, and uh, I was in um, Struggle, and we toured together. So, but 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 earlier than that. I think when I was about 11 or 12, um, I had uh, accidentally went to this really weird house party um, when, as like a child. I should probably yeah. shouldn't have. But my, <laughs> yeah. my one of my friends was looking for his older brother, um, okay. and he was he was he was probably I'm assuming like 17 or, or something around that age at that time. And um, um, we went to this house, and it was rumored that one of the guys from Slayer. Um, lived there and and so um it was strange because i kept like when i was a kid i'd go to when i'd be my mom would drive me to school i would see this car um with like all these heavy metal dudes in it and like oh, listening yeah. to listening to rad music and it had like stickers all over it um like uh you know like dead kennedys and pil and, and stuff like that and so i you know i was like kind of drawn towards these guys and they'd always kind of give me the nod or whatever like i was like this little punker and they <laughs> you know they were like what's up you know little dude or whatever yeah. and so anyhow i went to this party and, w- and one of the guys is there and there were it was um uh, even like now i'm um, talking to like i'm i'm friends with dave lombardo and yeah um, of course and um so him you know i was like who from slayer was uh you know living in um and Phoenix at that, at that time, you know, and he was saying that Tom lived there. Um, and so I guess it was Tom Araya that, that I, that I was, um, at his house and, uh, it was, it was strange, but yeah, I never really like, I never really hung out with them other than that one incident, you know, like it was, yeah. but you know, it was still like pretty interesting to kind of like, that was, and that was like a weird thing too, because I, I like met someone who was actually in a pretty well, known band i mean they were like not as big as they are now obviously yeah um, of back course then um i think they just had their first record out um but that but it was like well that guy's like in a you know like an a actual cool, band a cool yeah, band. yeah. and it yeah. was like uh, and he acknowledged me and so that was like a weird thing because before that it was like again it was like van halen and and you know dave bowie or whoever you know like that was just not a normal human being you know and yeah, so uh, it was it was pretty pretty rad um 
you know, and then later on, like moving to, to San Diego, I ended up, you know, meeting a, a lot of different people that played music and, and also started playing myself. But it was, yeah, that's when I met Matt Anderson when I got a little bit older. Because you had, you had bands like Drive Like Jehu kind of like around that time when you moved to San Diego too, right? Um, again, I, I don't know, but I'm, I'm sure like Drive Like Jehu would have been kind of smaller and local around that time. Yeah, the first group came out when I was 14. So right before I started playing uh, in my first band, and, and, I, and, it, and it was a huge influence on me, um, and more so than I was even prepared to realize. Um, but it was, I remember just kind of being so blown away by the, the, like the way it was structured musically. Like yeah. if you if you reference the first song on the album, the intro is just fucking spot on, and I and I and I couldn't really like understand like how they thought that up, you know. And it was yeah, like now yeah, it's like course. pretty simple, but you're like fuck, what, why? Like normal music doesn't do that, you know. And I was like, that's this like crazy ass intro that builds this like um insane amount of tension, and then it like that it just like kicks you like, in the gut, you know, or the balls or wherever, and then you're like, whoa, uh, that's insane and the coolest thing I've ever heard. So I mean, it was like a huge influence, and then obviously seeing them play, you know, and and seeing. And I and I and I and I had seen like um, Pitchfork prior to Jehu, so I, I had kind of like, I, and and I think maybe like Pitchfork played in my high school and stuff. So I, I, I and I and I knew John at the time and um, and Rick um, mainly like Rick I knew through Matt Anderson who was in this band called Slug, um, which was like a weird seven inch on vinyl communication. So it was like pretty small and yeah. uh, incestuous, and everyone was like kind of friends, even though I was a lot or not a lot, but like a bit younger than those guys, you know and um, but yeah, Jehu was fucking phenomenal uh, influence and uh, important band to me. Yeah, my childhood seems so shit now. Like, <laughs> like Slayer never came like and waved at me when I was young, and like I never had any good bands <laughs> at school. But you know that's fine. That's okay. Um, no jealousy at all. Um, and like, but I mean, as much as like you would say, like all those things are cool. It's like I was, getting, yeah. I got you know my ass handed me to me by like. Nazi skinheads and shit like I got put in the yeah. hospital I had to get in a surgery on my knee because I got beat up Fuck. and I was like you know I was like 13 um, and that, that shit sucks like I would have yeah, I, yeah, I might have yeah. at the time like kind of changed or traded parts of my I mean it is what it is but like parts of my childhood were cool but at the time I was like this is a fucking mess you know and like yeah um, but it was I think it was just like the course that I was bound to travel i suppose because it's like it's kind of like just before my time like i mean I, I kind of feel old but like at the same time it's it's like before my time but um i've got a few friends that were kind of around that scene in the uk and like across europe and it was it was kind of like weirdly like because my scene never had anything like nazis or anything like that and it kind of like wasn't there really so much when i was young mm. but mm-hmm. like kind of early 90s was there was kind of like a fucking weird kind of like element of it in like a punk sure. slash hardcore scene and i find it really alien to myself so it's 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 not interesting it's fucking shit to hear it but at the same time it's like kind of interesting that it existed and and how it how the f- manifest itself into that well i think i mean i think it kind of came before or even you know way before i ever got into music because I, I remember like kind of getting a little bit of insight and like learning who screwdriver was yeah you know and that was like all these fucking shitty nazis that i that i knew from there was a big problem with nazis kids in san diego when i was like 13 14 15 16 and you know they'd beat me up for being a communist and a faggot and like whatever they you know whatever kind of shit they would like want to fight us for um and and um but I remember, like, doing my research, and, like, I was obsessed with the Sex Pistols when I was a little kid, and, like, realizing that there was – I saw this old flyer that was, like, um, Susan the Banshee's 
I think, I think it was a Susan the Banshee show, and um, and uh, maybe it wasn't a Susan the Banshee. Anyhow, I saw a flyer that had Susan the Banshee's screwdriver, and then the police were opening, and I was the like, police. "What the fuck, fuck is that?" <laughs> yeah. And it was like, you know, it was like now that I realize it, I think it was before it was like the screw like screwdriver all screwed up was the only rec- the record they had at that time or something, and you know, and, and people still cite like, "Well, they weren't," you know, they were just street punk then. I'm like, "Well, they were yeah. fucking pretty stupid still, and their music sucked." But the point is, like, <laughs> they were if even if they weren't like out, you know, as far as their like fascist you know beliefs, they were still yeah. like kind of on that same page and i mean i think that like that stuff kind of existed from the start of punk you know and it would and and, and especially in the states too i mean it was something that you know like you have a lot of bands that were you know dead kennedys with nazi punks fuck off and stuff you know so yeah it was true. there and it was really weird it was really weird growing up like kind of having that like um sort of like i don't know like anxiety like going to shows i mean like oh there's you know, they're the the skins. They're gonna fuck us up. You know, and you kind of have to like watch out. You know, yeah, and like fucking shit. Mind your own business. And you know, I, I got fucking knocked out and beat up a bunch of times. Um, you know, and for doing nothing. You know, it's just they were just there to be shitheads. But eventually, it kind of tapered away, which is strange because then, like, I felt like when when we when I me and my friends and my bandmates and my my friends bands like started getting more vocal and like opposing that kind of shit they were gone and we're like what the fuck you know now they're yeah. not here and like now we're like you know now we have like the guts to stand up to them and it went and never it i mean it still was there you know we still had those issues like i remember just fucking fighting people at shows like you know and like hoping my gear wasn't get stolen and just fighting fucking nazis or just jocks yeah. or whatever you know and it was it was a bit of a mess but uh have you yeah, seen I that? don't know. It tapered off. Have you seen that film Green Room? I did. Uh, it was very. Uh, it was very. It was pretty uh, accurate. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that there's certain parts of the states that 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 stuff happens for sure. The thing that I was like, I, I that I, I mean, I think it was a pretty good horror film. I think the thing that was yeah. weird is like the band, like, I don't know. I mean, dude, no real band. Okay, like if you were at like a show like that and it's full of skinheads, you're not. It, I don't know. I I commend them. It's a movie or whatever. They had the guts to you know do like yeah. to say like you know fuck you to all these people. But like <laughs> yeah. they would have just if they would have got killed, they would have just got beat up really fucking bad and all their gears stolen. Whatever. Like it just seemed like a. Though I would have. I think most. I think reality. Like in reality, like the band would have just packed up and built. <laughs> yeah. <You> know, so, <laughs> yeah. Like uh, a twenty-minute film. <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't. I don't. I don't know. I I, I just feel like they had two little of a re- well they you know they end up dying that's like the most craziest reaction but like yeah. i feel like it shouldn't even have got to that point they should have just gotten like fucking beat up on stage by the nazis yeah right away you know that's what that's how it would have really went down because all like they they like they sang like and i'm sure they sing like an anti-nazi song like right at them like yeah didn't they do nazi punks fuck off i think yeah no, they did that's right yeah no they did that's totally right yeah and then like straight away after that like like i think like the girl got shot or something like that i only watched yeah. it like six months ago but i remember being like fuck uh-huh. i wonder if that was because you know, the stories like i mean like the story i've got a few friends kind of like around that era when they were going to shows like a few years older than me and you, you kind of hear the stories of, of what has happened and it's so i know it existed but it's kind of strange from my perspective to hear that it existed because i i had no idea it kind of was like that heavy but it like it sounds fucking shit but well it that is shit but the thing is like it wasn't the, for me it was never <laughs> like that obvious or like I never was I never like accidentally stumbled upon like a skinhead show you know it was like 
um, I mean, there was fucking Nazis and shit, but for me, when I was growing up and playing music, it was like, I remember, like, one of the guys who was in Gehenna, like, shot someone in the neck, or his girlfriend, like, got shot in the neck or something, and, like, fuck, and, you know, and, like, they weren't, like, Nazis, obviously, but, like, they were, like, kind of, like, jocks, or, like, yeah. they were, like, they weren't, like, you know, they weren't, like, as sort of, like, like, politically left, I guess, or, yeah, like, of course. you know, ethical, I suppose, you know, and, and uh, you know, there was, like, shit like that, and, like, um, you know, there, there was always, there was, like, a lot of fucking violence uh, with, with, growing up. I remember there was, like, a straight-edge gang that, like, wanted to kill the locust, and, you know, there was, like, uh, just shitty antics, you know, where they were, like, all right, they're gonna fucking shoot you guys, you know, and, like, we would do stuff, like, we had, like, half sticks of dynamite, we were gonna, like, <laughs> just, like, you know, like, sort of, like, that's that's gonna make. I mean, I don't know. It was stupid, but we were gonna like not threaten them, but like be like, oh, yeah, you of course. Fuck with us, like here, I have dynamite, you know, like <laughs> blow one up, you know. But like, we never really ended up coming to that. But but there was a lot of like a lot of violence. Um, but obviously, fortunately, no one died. It was just yeah. kind of like we're gonna fucking slash your tires, or we're gonna like punch you, you know, a couple times in the face, you know, whatever. But it wasn't like too bad. So. Oh man, but still, it's like you were shit. Like, like you were saying before, going to a show and having like anxiety of like something happening. It's like fucking, like it's piss. Like, yeah, yeah. But the, the neo-Nazi thing, though, like tapered off, and it was, and we, it, un, I have no problem with straight edge, but we end up having fucking straight edge gangs. It was crazy, like trying to to kill us. I mean, like they wanted to fucking beat us up or whatever. I don't know, like, but they, you know, getting maced or like getting like a fucking bottle broken on your head or having a bar stool like thrown at you while you're playing music or you know like that shit sort of sucks yeah yeah <laughs> so, you know and it and we didn't even do anything you know it was just no. like uh, uh, it i was... don't know we weren't even yeah it would be one thing if we were saying like fuck you or fuck straight edge or something but it was like there was nothing it was just like all right well here we go we're, we're getting like we're, we might die you know yeah and then I think one thing, like, sorry to kind of move away because, like, I'm actually really interested in all of that because it's kind of something that's a story for me to hear because, as I said, it's a few years before I kind of got into any sort of scene, let alone, like, a, a punk scene, if you prefer. But one thing I find quite interesting about 3-1-G is that in, like, that was started in 94, right? So yeah, kind yeah. of around when Struggle was obviously the band at the time. And it's not so weird now for someone to have like a DIY label. It's really not. But in like 94, like it wasn't. Well, to me, it, it made sense more so then than it does yeah. now because, you know, now it's just the labels are kind of maybe becoming a little bit less um, relevant because back then it yeah. was like there was a bunch of labels that were putting out stuff and 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 um at the time I, I think struggle had already broken up and I was in swing kids but like at the time it was like I kept realizing like there was all these like kind of crappy labels that were like wanting to do stuff or like, putting out like compilations and you were like never you you wouldn't get copies or like they would change the artwork or or you know like they'd be selling them for a kind of too much money like at the time like you know you really shouldn't be selling a for six dollars it should have been three. So there was like weird issues, you know, and so I just thought like, fuck, I could do this, I could yeah. do this, you know, and 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 that was like it was pretty easy. And I also like grew, was growing up with like Vinyl Communications, like Bob who runs that label, and um, he had put out the original Heroin Seven Inch, and then obviously Matt Anderson and, and Grav Records. So I like grew up with people that were putting out records, so I kind of was like, hey, I'm gonna just do that too, and then it and then it kind of went from there. 
So would you say it was always your intention to be kind of your own boss of what you released effectively? Or do you think it was a case of after being in bands for a few years, you thought, fuck it, like, that's what I want to do? Well, it's easier to not be the label and the and the, in the band. It, it's kind of a bummer um, because, I don't know, I mean, it's, it's become an, it's another thing now. You know, now it's like you have to have, like, accounting and you have to, like, tell them like here's the royalties and i owe you this much money or or, you know like before it was just kind of like all right guys here like i have enough money to press you know a thousand records and and then the band gets this many like 20 10 percent or what that was like kind of how and then you were like you never spoke of it again you know but now it's like a lot different and obviously now too like people don't really buy music like they used to you know there's digital formats before then was like you had to buy the vinyl you know like there was no other way to get it so I don't know, but it would be easier to to not have both jobs um, to yeah. be the band and the 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 label. Um, but at the same time, it's like, well, then you kind of have a little bit more control. You can make sure it's like exactly how you want it to be, and and then you know, like, if it sucks, like it's your fault. You know, you can blame yourself, not like someone else. Like, you know, yeah, not like yeah. a what if the label had done that or the other. It's kind of all on you in a sense. But yeah, and I mean, you've released like all of your like your own bands like on 31G as far as I'm aware um and you've had Arabon Radar obviously but like this sounds like a really stupid question so like really forgive me I couldn't think of how to word it but I think just from knowing your artwork I kind of get a feeling that when you've done what you've did you would like people to like it but it's not always about success it's about doing what you want to do and doing it in your own way so when you have a label, like a label's blueprint effectively is to sort of be successful. Um, but did you, I mean, it's been really successful. Like, for example, like Blood Brothers' March on Electric Children was massive. Remember when I was young, that was like, that was a big deal. But did you did you expect it to have that level of success? Was that what you intended or was it just what will be, will be? Yeah, I think that in the whole kind of like... Um lineage of of what the label is never was thought out like and i kind of regret that because i just would be like this seems like relevant and and smart right now and like yeah and i wouldn't really think of like consequences or like a long-term effect because you gotta consider like when i started it it was like really about putting out a seven inch and it was really about like going on tour and this is before the internet existed it was before like bands weren't really putting out CDs. I mean, you couldn't just, like, burn a CD. You had to, like, get CDs made, you know, from a manufacturer. So there was, it was a lot different, you know. And, um, you know, by the time we put out March on Electric Children, that was, like, our 21st release, or 21st release. And um, that was weird, too, because, you know, I think the Locust had played a a bunch of shows with those guys, and I had become really good friends with them, and, and and it was cool that they were psyched on doing a record with me. And at that time, you know, they were still kind of like dealing with smaller labels and so we agreed to do the record um and before we even had a chance to get the record out they got signed to a major and so that's why that record became such a big deal is because this is like a weird time for me because i had no money and i had you know we're just kind of like yeah cool we'll just do like a thousand and then all of a sudden there's this label saying like okay we're gonna put out their next record so this record needs to be as big as we can to kind of like buffer what they're about to do. So yeah. the following record was going to be on a major. So they did a bunch of stuff like their label pressed a shitload of CDs, mainly for the UK actually, um, but yeah, also in Europe. Here. And 
and uh yeah and it and they blew up you know for the most part of there and um it was weird because it was like they were doing all this promo and it was good for their record and the band but not necessarily that great for 31G because um we ended up not really being able to sell um we what they what you were seeing over there was being pressed and manufactured through their label and so oh. we would never see like any sort of profit which is fine it was never our you know that was never our jam or whatever. We weren't like set out to make money. We were set out to put out cool music and make like sort of like this weird like community or branding or like yeah. uh, of like-minded people. But so it became like a big record and kind of changed the game because that was when you were like, oh shit, like what we're doing is like totally um, accessible to main the mainstream and and yeah. for the Blood Brothers profitable, you know. And so that was like that was like where things shifted a, a bit. I, I think at that point. So, yeah, that was yeah, that. Yeah, I, I remember that. I mean, I what that uh, was like two thousand two, two thousand three, maybe maybe later. And I just remember mm-hmm. like it. It was just the single. I think it was was it ambulance versus ambulance. Just got like huge. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, the weird thing was the label that they had signed to was like we need three one G's like sort of like underground credibility to. <laughs> To like make it, so like you know they knew like the label knew like okay we can sell this to like, you know the the like normal yeah. like alternative you know music fans but like the like punk and the hardcore community that like has like you know like ethics and morals and stuff we yeah. we need three one G to kind of like bridge that you and know to say and it's so it was. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a weird thing because shortly after that, you know, I mean, I think like a couple of years later, like the Locust ended up signing to Anti, and we got a lot of shit for that um, because you know, essentially, Anti is a subsidiary of Epitaph, and people like hate, you know, completely hated us at that point, and it was like, uh, okay, cool, you know, like that's a, it was just like one more thing to fucking deal with, but like, uh, yeah, it, it was like, uh, I don't know if like the Blood Brothers experienced that, you know, I mean, yeah, they they might have had that sort of like hostility towards towards them but you know i think maybe yeah i think the blood brothers and the locusts came from like the same like sort of like almost like super conservative like uh underground like you know you have to be like diy like you know kind yeah. of like uh, mindset so um but the thing you know that i think some bands like i think i don't know what the blood brothers thought but i know like the locust was you know, we were approached by like Warner and um, I don't know who else, but I remember thinking like we really want to work with an independent label that won't have any kind of restrictions on what we do. And so that was up. I mean, that was anti, you know. And the thing is, we were like very against being on. We were anti being on Epitaph because you know it had a had a stigma to it, you know. And anti was like cool, and it had yeah. it had Tom Waits and Nick Cave, and we were like that's the fucking jam, and we yeah, put up a course. fight to to do that, and that yeah. that made it like justifiable for ourselves, you know. And uh, and 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 we were still like able to do whatever we wanted to do, um, you know, artistically. So I was going to say, because I remember, again, like I was saying about Blood, Blood, uh, Blood Brothers kind of blowing up when I was like younger in like 2003. But I remember the Locust did as well. Like I remember like when I was young, like I, it wasn't my Bible, but I'd find like new bands from like Kerrang. I mean, I've got oh, yeah, it now, yeah. but, but it was pretty cool then when you were like 13, 14. 
Um, and I remember the locust got like a lot of attention over here. And like my dad, like growing up, my dad kind of liked a few punk bands. But like when we see punk, I mean stuff like Sex Pistols, like the Angelic Upstarts, that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, sure. And I remember kind of like being told, well, not being told, but kind of viewing punk as like a be younger than 13, like 10, 11, as being like these guys that wore like studded jackets and stuff like that. But I remember there was bands like Locust, bands like Dillinger, and I think like latterly like bands like The Chariot that were like a big thing for me because you sort of did stuff on your own terms. And to me, that was kind of more punk, if that made, if that kind of makes sure. sense. But but what about like sorry to interrupt you, but what about like Fine. between like the Sex Pistols and that and that like era and then like the Locust and stuff? There was stuff like, um, like Napalm Death and Doom yeah. and bands that were like kind of the sort of bridge. I, I mean, I don't know, like I don't know how like the Sex Pistols link to like Napalm Death, but Napalm Death. But there's a link somewhere like, for sure. There's got to be sure. Right? But like Napalm Death definitely like connected with the Locust. You know, um, ma- it makes more sense than anything else. You know. So that there is there is something that there is like a constant like evolution, you know, it wasn't just like this sort of like weird jump or shift in in things. Yeah, I think, you know, it was kind of weird. And I don't know if you'd agree with me here at all. But um, what I kind of noticed that was different about bands of that kind of era, especially with like the Locust was there was like a social aspect to it as well. I remember, Mm -hmm. I I think it's a well-known thing, but I kind of like remember quite well was like the, there was the onstage like same sex wedding proposal and like people kind of weirdly would call like stuff like that, like it was a stunt. But I remember like being quite young, like 15-ish I think at this time and thinking, well, you know, why is that stuff kind of seen as a stunt? Why couldn't it just be seen as like a normal thing? Uh To me, it was almost like, the locust. A lot of people looked at that sort of style of music, and and I think yourself is opening people's mind on a creative level. But I think what really got me was you sort of opened people's minds. I think on like a social injustice sort of level as well with stuff like that. It kind but of don't made you me think. think. That, but don't you think that's what like I mean to me like when I was growing up like discovering the Sex Pistols that was. I mean if you if you even if you weren't able to like really be submerged in the sex pistols if you if someone was to discover that film the filth and the fury it really does show you that like it was a social reaction you know oh, to, yeah. to like a totally. lot of things you know and it was a social reaction to to class war it was a social reaction to race it was a social reaction to politics to the government to anti-police like all these things that kind of like were relevant and then they were relevant again when you and I were growing up and they're still fucking relevant yeah, you know and that of course. that was the weird thing so more so, so than ever me, now totally and but I had no fucking idea until after the fact that I was like oh my gosh a lot of the stuff that the sex pistols were doing was like derivative of like the situationists or like you know french anarchists that weren't even like about music or punk it was more about like or like dadaism or something you know or like yeah. this kind of like like sort of like fuck you but not like an overtly fuck you like a confusing like what what like what's happening you know and so the yeah. sex pistols i think for me had that element you know i was like whoa they're really weird and it wasn't even the sex pistols it was kind of just like that whole like birth of punk and it was like um it was just very interesting but there was but then you would like discover like bands for me like that came a little bit later you know like the dead kennedys or um even like bands like mdc i remember being a little kid like getting into mdc and like being like fuck these guys are fucking pissed they're badass you know and they're like like the singer's gay like any you know and he's like saying shit that like 
no one really said yeah as far as i was concerned you know and so then it was like all right like there's another like there's more to it than just like the music the music was a big deal but there's a lot more to it than that so oh yeah yeah totally i think it's that i i've always personally connected with like a sort of togetherness which i think togetherness and and social injustice kind of two things that go together if you like togetherness you don't want to keep anyone out and i think that's what's always attracted me towards that sort of scene personally and i think you know it's probably why i kind of go towards a lot of the bands that you've done and bands from that scene because it has a similar mindset it's it's the music yes but i think the mindset plays a huge part in the 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 ethos as you say plays a huge part in, in that thing you know yeah i mean you know it's interesting to think like you know growing up and like i mean you know like seeing you know i don't know bands like los crudos or something like even if you don't like punk you yeah. can't go there and not feel something and not be like fucking fired up, you know, yeah. and be like, dude, this speaks to me, you know, and like that that's the that's the crazy thing is because I feel like for most the most part you had, you know, you had like what the mainstream was looking at, like punk or alternative, you know, you had bands like Green Day where it was like sort of one dimensional. But yeah, when you were when you were like seeking out bands like, for instance, like Los Crudos, you could you could get people that like like you know especially like in like in chicago or los angeles like with a band like los crudos you were getting like cholos and 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 like you know the, like 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 latinos that were like into like the sort of social protest of it and not so much into like the punk rock aspect and that was like i think the big um shift in in, in things you know where it was like which kind of, to me, and maybe to like people like Martin, you know, the singer, like kind of seemed like how it was for the Sex Pistols or for like John Lydon. It was kind of like we're connecting with people not because it's music, but we're connecting with people because it's like a social, yeah, uh, thing, you know, so a, a cultural thing, you know, if any, if anything. It's almost like someone fighting your corner, isn't it? It's someone like getting it and understanding your kind of injustice and kind of like yeah. making a noise about it, like quite literally, yeah. which is good. Of course, yeah, yeah. And it's like, again, I, I, there was so much stuff when I was kind of writing down what I wanted to chat to you about. I kind of feel I'm just like skipping from one thing to another and I'm, I'm enjoying the conversation so much. But um, there was just so much stuff that I wanted to cover. But one thing I, like, I really wanted to cover is that there's so many bands you've had. But one of like the first bands I think that I went like nuts about and was a really big fan of and kind of got me into some of Wes Eisel's older stuff was Some Girls. Mm. Um how did that come about like where did you like the guys from that band of yours known them like how did that become a thing uh, rob moran was kind of like the the focal point of that band initially and um at one point rob or his brother Audi like asked me if i wanted to put out <clears throat> a seven inch and he and he played it or they played it for me it was it was um it was um, the rains, but it was without Wes's vocals. And I, and I you know, they were like, "It sounds like Swing Kids," you know. And they put they put it on. Yeah. And I was like, eh. "I was like, I don't know, man. Like, it's cool, but like, I wasn't wasn't like psyched on it." And I was like, "I don't really." And you know, it was and it was Rob and it was Sal. And I think it was just actually Rob and Sal, and then um, no vocals. And I was like, you know, like, and I love Rob and and I love Sal and their you know their family. And I was like, well. I don't know. It's cool, but like, why? Why? What? You know, like, I don't know. And then, like, it came out on Death Wish, and it, and I remember, like, you know, getting the seven inch and being like, "Fuck, this is really good." And then, um, yeah. you know, they did one show. Um, 
I don't really know. They did one show, and I and I was on tour when it happened. And then they, they then there was like this idea, like that they were going to do these dates with Converge, and they needed someone to play bass because they didn't really have a bass player on the seven inch. I think Rob yeah. played guitar and bass, and so I was like, yeah, sure, I'll play bass. And then and then we did like a I think like two or three dates with Converge, and then you know we only played the Reigns. That was all there was. And then and then it kind of like um, Rob was like, well, let's do this, you know. And so like it became banned. Um, and then it was mainly, you know, I, I didn't really even know Wes at the time, so it was it was it was sort of strange. But it it, it started off very loose and like just sort of like a little bit of a like a very like much like a project and not like a band. And then, you know, they kind of were like, let's do another record and like let's make a make a you know kind of like a like a more prominent thing. And so yeah. um, that was when we started working on the blues and it was funny because uh I, in my mind and i don't know if i really thought this at the time but i was like and i liked it you know i thought like the range is great but i in my mind i'm thinking like ah, i just want it to be like less uh like obvious hardcore like because to me it was kind of like yeah very crude um but crude like crossed out you know kind of like brutal like crude but i was like i don't want breakdowns or i don't want like you know like youth crew i don't want any of that shit like because yeah. i mean i was familiar with what west was doing and and i and i and even like the time like i love unbroken they're one of the best bands ever but i and i love everything that rob's done but a lot of his late like you know when he started doing like over my dead body i i just was not that psyched on it because it seemed too it seemed a little bit too um uh i guess like normal sorry my dog's barking it seemed a little bit too no. normal for me <laughs> and like and so i was like let's get like a fucked up element like and i was like let's get christopher from the crimson curse and he was in tristeza and stuff and, and, and we all knew him and it, and it worked really well and so then uh we did the blues with christopher and then he had to he quit and moved and then we ended up getting chuck from the plot and who's in um the crocodiles and so i i was constantly trying to get like a, another guitar player that could kind of add a really in like like a more obscure element to the, like you know, weirder yeah. chords and like make it so it's not just like you know open e or drop d like you know hardcore and so yeah. um i don't know and i and i i'm not really sure maybe maybe this might be wrong but i feel like west was really open to it because i think he obviously you know might have been like kind of pigeonholed as well with with oh yeah you know american nightmare and so i think he was like kind of psyched and I, and I'm, I'm sure he got a lot of flack you know like oh you're in the band with this fucking shithead from the locust and you know he probably feels that now but like uh it was it was funny like you know because i, th- I was like hey, i'm gonna fuck your career up dude you know like you're, <laughs> you're working with me now that's you gotta watch out you know like people are gonna be bombed and, and, and i'm sure that like some people were and some people you know didn't like some girls but like you know i also think that we were like kind of pushing some sort of boundary and, and doing things differently. And it, and it, and it, I think it came across like, you know, even like doing a track with like Karen from the yeah, yeah, yeah's and then like yeah. doing things like, you know, on heaven's pregnant teens when we did death face where it's like a 10 minute long piece, like a lot of that stuff, like a lot of that, that community that like Wes and Rob come from wouldn't necessarily be open to that, you know? And so I was like psyched that we were able to kind of like fuck with people that, because I don't want people to feel comfortable, you know, and I know I don't want it to be like obvious, you know, and the, and the, and the cool thing, like, especially with Sal, um, he was like, you know, Sal and I, I think like have a a lot of similar like musical 
I would say antics, you know, like mm-hmm. when we'd be writing stuff, you know, Rob, you know, Rob would be like, I got this breakdown, you know, or like this part. And so I like, okay, that, that breakdown's cool, but like, let's only play it once and then like yeah. stop the song. You know, so like people would think like, here's the mosh part, you know, and then you're like, fuck <laughs> it. it. It was like not long enough, you know, and like, but we, you know, we would find like that sort of entertaining to kind of fuck with people i guess it's weird though like i mean you mentioned before just kind of rewinding back a little bit about like how you're saying to where it's like oh like i'm gonna fuck your career because you're with me and and i kind of find it weird because i i never remember from because but i was young i was really young i never remember you getting that much shit but like being a fan of the band and now that I'm older and I read stuff back for nostalgic reasons, like you got so much shit for really doing nothing at all. Like in terms of like you did nothing to antagonize that kind of shit. And I don't really know why, because like, I mean, was there a reason that people give you so much shit? Like, I don't know. I mean, hardcore and punk have its purest sort of mindset, you know, like it, it, as much as we want to think that it's progressive, it's, it's got its same elements that everything else in this society has you know it's very like you have to kind of be by the books you know even like before all that like when i was in swing kids like we saw that with like heart attack which was like ebullition records which is kind of where struggle was brought up with and um you know heart attack was like always slamming antioch arrow because you know they had like haircuts and they like didn't have like lyrics that were about like you know burning the flag or police brutality you know they had they had lyrics about like you know gummy worms and shit but like yeah to me they were fucking totally like a socially political band you know they 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 were they fit into a community that made sense but they weren't like saying the obvious and that was such a fucking breath of fresh air and so i think that like i've constantly like sort of vibed with that idea you don't have to just be obvious no not at all and it's it's weird you say about like the hardcore kind of the punk scene the one thing i've always i think struggled with and and the reason i think i personally like to listen and gravitate to stuff that is a little bit different or kind of pushes the boundaries is i don't know it 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 presents itself as very kind of inclusive but sometimes feel like it's exclusive and you can't kind of stray from it and it totally yeah struggled with that like i've i mean even now like when i was young you struggle with all sorts of like social aspects of even now like and you see kids going through it as well like when you go to shows you kind of see kids that maybe you can kind of tell they're not into a certain band but their friends love it so they're kind of you think why are you there like uh-huh. but i mean you don't you don't know you can't get into a kid's head these days but still you know it's totally. funny funny you mentioned about karen o as well um how did that come about because i'm a big fan of the aas um they well, were like we, one of the bands you know sure um yeah i mean the locust toured with them i think right before they became like super huge, huge. you know so um the I mean, we were friends with – all of us were all friends through both bands, but mainly, like, Nick Zinner was, like, the one – because he's, like, really into metal and stuff, so it made it made sense. So we toured with them, and then, you know, I think that, like, the kind of idea came up, you know, and I, I, I definitely pushed it on her, like, hey, you know, sing on this other band's track, you know, and I think she was, like, kind of crossing over, you know, yeah. you know to, like, the more huger kind of mainstream stuff. But, you know, we roped her into doing it, and she was a fucking good, good sport, and she's punk, you know, and she has Total the punk. same. I mean, if it, as much as people would, like, debate with me or argue against it, I think the Yeah Yeahs are f- fucking one of the best punk bands, you know, and, and the fact that they were able to be so, you know, successful, commercially successful, they still were a fucking punk band, and they still were punks, yeah. you know, so that was, um, 
I mean, and through and throughout, that's why there's that sort of relationship and bond between members of all, you know, the, the, the projects we're talking about. No, I, I love Karen. I think a lot of my, um, a lot of my female friends sort of growing up, like, they kind of like almost say like her attitude to, to her, like her work and the way she presented herself. You just see some of these people like who I was friends with who were like big AAA fans and they're like really empowered women. Like, sure. like it's almost like there's something that she gives to them that like no other fucker was doing at the time. Like, sure. But the whole band itself is like very androgynous and I think that's important yeah. as well. You know, I, I mean, it, so. you don't have that masculinity, which is, which important I think in rock music, you know, yeah, I think it's massive. I mean, I remember being really young, like my favorite band, like were a band that had broken up, but like Refused were like the first band that I really super connected with. And I think a lot of that came down to the, the almost like, almost like a female haircut. And it's kind of mm. like, I, I understood it. Like, and I mean, although they'd broken up by the time I was like old enough to actually listen to it and understand it. I remember like looking back at the scene they came from and all these kids were like, shorts and they were like suits yeah. and like yeah. you know bob haircuts but yeah they refused i could talk about all day um but no mm. one wants to hear that so <laughs> um and you know i was just mentioning before about some girls like i've got like a, a some girls tattoo because i really like i mean i like the band don't get me wrong but i always loved like the play on words of like the titles like um and i've got um all my friends are going death like tattooed was it yourself that came up with the titles, or was it like Wes and everyone else? And well, Wes came up with most of it. I mean, there was oh. a couple of titles like, um, um, fuck, I don't know, like "You'll Be Happy with Lower Standards." I think you know, or, or there's a there's a couple, but for the most part, it was it was Wes's, um, okay. you know, li- lyrics and stuff. Um, I, I think I was just kind of trying to fuck with the sounds, <laughs> yeah, more, yeah, more than anything else. But um, yeah, he was the one that came up with the, that title for sure. It's just like things like um, it made me kind of look into to writing like the play on words. I kind of got into lyrics when I was really young and the meaning behind stuff. And I think you know, reading your books as well, um, like I've read a lot of Eric's books, obviously Wes's books, but they're kind of more like short stories, poetry, mm-hmm. whereas you kind of went more down the, the story, like an actual like book. Like what gives you the impulse to do that? Oh, I was, I mean, I, this is like quite a while ago. I, I did like, I was asked to do a, like a tour diary and I, and I, um, for some, for some online publication and I, and I submitted it and I, and then I just kind of emailed it to some friends like to share it with them. And, and I remember like, uh, John Waters got back to me and was like, you should, you know, write a book. And I was like, like, well, what the fuck kind of, what do you, like, that just sounds like silly or whatever. You know, yeah. like, no, no, seriously, like try my story and see what happens. And so I wrote a story um, about like actually realizing how shitty Kiss was when I was a little kid, <laughs> and then um, and then he was like, "That's great! Like, there you go. There's the start of your book, you know." And I was like, "What?" And so then I just kind of like worked on it for a year or so, and then ended up getting a publishing deal and putting the book out. You know, it's weird. I mean, I don't really know what. I mean, I kind of cringe at parts of it. I don't really know what I was doing. Um, yeah, but you know it's, it's kind of the it's beauty like of it, it though it's like it's real when you read it it, sure. it is real like i mean i'm i'm going over it again it's been a while since i've read it but knowing i was doing this i thought you know i'm gonna go over it again and like i'm enjoying it like without gushing too much here man like i'm enjoying it like the second time around just as much oh, like if not more thanks man no yeah but fine. to me it's sort of like a record you know you're like the first record yeah. like, you know, like the first struggle record was like okay but like we got better you know i got i could play better and i knew how to write better later 
So I think like, you know, when I wrote a second book, I was like, oh, it's, I got it. Like, I think I got this a little bit more. And now I think if all the other things that I've written have kind of been a little bit more, uh, I don't know, defined or, yeah. or something. You should always kind of like, like your newest stuff the most. And I think with anyone who's creative, it's nine times out of 10, they'll say like, oh, my newest stuff is my best stuff. And it's not, yeah. not always the case, but it kind of gravitates uh, yeah. towards that kind of, that attitude and that behavior. And um, But there's there's one guy I always look up to and in a really weird way, in a, in a totally different sense, I kind of, I, I put you in the box of, of his attitude as well. And that, that's Henry Rollins. Um, uh. And I was thinking like, you know, there's three or four music projects we're talking about before that you've had, but you've always had like three or four projects on the go. It's never been like one or two, um, as far as I'm aware. Do you have like a conscious need to be involved in several bands? Like, do you have that Henry Rollins kind of like need to constantly be on the go, constantly working, and, and what drives that? I mean, I, I don't really think it's like a conscious like thing. Like, okay, I have to have like this much stuff. I just think like, you know, if let's say like something like slows down or tapers down or stops, there's 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 space there that I I'm like, well, fuck, I could do this now, you yeah. know, and that like kind of happens. So, and also, like, for whatever reason, things eventually end up presenting themselves. You know, it's, I mean, even, like, recently, like, I had this project, Dead Cross, that, like, we never set out to, like, start that band. It just, like, That's with Dave, by a right? weird, yeah, yeah, but, like, by a weird chain of, you know, events, like, oh, there's a band now. <laughs> Oops, you know, like, yeah. that, that was not, like, something we were, like, okay, we're going to put, the, you know, like, it was never, like, conceived, like, this is what's going to happen. This is like a, you know, like was never like a concept or nothing like, like wasn't thought out. So, which is good and bad. I mean, and then it, it maybe it just seems more sincere when you're just like, fuck, this just happened organically or, or accidentally, uh, you know? Um, and so I think like, I mean, there's been times where like, I remember when, when I was working on, actually, I guess like heaven's pregnant teens already came out and I was work and I had like just recorded, the locust new erections i remember being on tour with some girls and every day i had to go find a very good internet and then like sit down like go over these mixes so i could send notes you know to the to the guy that was producing it uh so i remember like you know it was like kind of back and forth and then it was like okay some girls locust some girls locust so there was times where it was just like two projects um there was times there was just one focal point you know but like for the most part i mean now it's like if you think about the stuff that I'm doing, like, I mean, retox is like my full-time band. And then other things like headwind city, um, is very part-time because everybody's yeah. like spread out and doing other things. So it was, so it's like, there's always kind of like a main band or main project. And then there's like other things that just kind of can happen here and there. Yeah, of course. And it's funny. You should go on to like retox. I think retox is probably my favorite thing you've actually ever done truth be told even though I was, thanks man no i think it's great like i it's kind of like because i i went through a stage of listening to like really kind of like shoegazy stuff and then i kind of wanted a band to as you mentioned before kind of grab me by the balls um and retox kind of did that for me so that was kind of cool um cool but i think every band you've done even like the newer bands back to like your first band they always have like a a justin pearson kind of stamp on it and you can feel it and i think you know, I remember, like, I'm I'm really into quotations and mindsets and things like that, and I think a lot of people gravitate towards that. And I think I can't remember the quote, but it's a real quote, and I think it was something along the lines of, "You want to change perceptions and challenge the norm, um, 
to an extent, but you also want to destroy it at the same time when you've done that. Um, that's how everyone always starts with a mindset. And I think musically, it seems that the mindset has stayed. But do you feel like it's burning as bright as ever to kind of create that and then destroy it? I, I think, to be honest, I, I was a, a little naive by saying that because I don't think that what I've done or what I can do is like capable of like destroying something. Yeah. But I, I guess like and and I, and I was obviously like, I mean, I think if you consider like my influences musically, but also non musically, it, it just followed suit, but without really knowing it, which I guess is maybe the the genuine aspect of it. But like, yeah. I didn't really understand the like. So it wasn't like I want to change. Like I don't want music to be four four anymore. You know, I want everything to be like in you know, whatever seven eight. You know, like I, it wasn't that. It wasn't like I wanted to change like the way music is structured. I wanted to change the way that it's like perceived, the way that it's digested, the way that it's accepted, the way that it's not accepted. I wanted to challenge that. You know, and I think that like, um, I guess like, a lot of it was like kind of the point where like i guess electronic music was becoming a big deal and yeah. and and for that was also a influence to an extent because you know when we recorded um like some like like um safety second body last or new rex in and also like plague soundscapes as well we were trying so hard to like sort of um disguise the instruments you know like so people would listen to it and think that they would just assume oh that's the synth and it was always like oh that's not that's a guitar or that's the bass or or like even having multiple singers, like it was just kind of like trying to restructure uh, uh, the way people perceive a band, and then like going out on stage and having Gabe up front, which I think, I mean, not not many people, but when we would write music, it would always be about the drums first. Like we would come to this, you know, rehearsal with like parts and riffs and songs, but like for the most part, all that stuff was subject subject to be changed based on the outcome of what we could accomplish with the drums. So yeah. like we put the drums up front and then, you know, you have all, you have everyone else singing where, you know, you, you have no front person, you have no dude in the back playing the beat, you know, it was all like a, a thing. Like it became something like different. And at the time, you know, again, like one, it was a very naive comment because at the time we had like, well, previous to that we had seen Phantomos and they, you know, they had Dave Lombardo's giant fucking drum kit on the, in the, on the side. I don't know if you ever saw them play live, but they'd, he'd mm-hmm. always set up on one end of the stage. I don't know if it's stage left or right, but, um, but they did it, I think, because there was the, a, a lot of stages wouldn't, it was fucked up. Like, and so it's only how like, it, like, okay, like there would be this massive drum set and then, you know, Buzz and Trevor would be there and then, and then Patton would be on the opposite side and then, so when we were playing with them, they wouldn't strike their drum set. You know, they would they would keep it where it was. So we yeah. were very limited with like the space that we could set up on stage. So we were like, all right, fuck it, we're gonna be in a weird line, and have our drums up front instead of like kind of like awkwardly yeah. trying to make it. I in remember the back. it well. Yeah. And, and then it became like a line. Like we would set up in like a like one straight line. And so it was like that. It wasn't really like I'm gonna change the time signature or the way pe- or the notation. It was more like I'm gonna just gonna change the whole. Pers- I want to destroy the whole perception of what people yeah. think of, like as a band. Yeah. But it like again, I mean that's that happened. I mean, you know, you have like all kinds of weird shit that's that's come before any before I was even born, you know. But like before any you know anything. So it's like you had Naked City, you know, like John Zorn and fucking I don't know, like there's been just tons of crazy weird shit out there that I I think kind of already had like started fucking everything up and we were just one more <laughs> thing to kind of like 
vibe with that and try to fuck it up too yeah but i think it definitely left quite a big mark on definitely my generation my people of my age like so you definitely achieved something and i'm sure you know that but it's well but it's even like another thing too and a lot of it might have to do with san diego because i feel like we were so here in a weird way to not have it be easy you know because it was like we would i would have to go to like shows and see like i'd have to go to like the che cafe to see heroin play with a three-piece jazz band at an all-you-can-eat like spaghetti dinner because like that's just that was like normal for for san diego you know and so then like it was like acceptable to play shows with a reggae band at like a protest against the war it was ex- yeah. you know and you're like this line like and no one fucking question it like i hate reggae more than anything but it was like we were there <laughs> these were our you know these were our like comrades or whatever and we were there for the fucking fight you know and so like yeah yeah of course so then it was like okay well you know what do we find our influences in you know like we 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 loved like like with the locust we like loved later beatles you know like that was so fucking influential to us uh, and we loved you know like weird synth got you know like bauhaus and like just so like you know we anyhow we started looking like that you know we like I remember going to England on our first tour, and I remember one of the dudes from Doom, you know, like standing there with like his crusty p- patches and his red stuff, like just fucking talking shit about the way we look. It's like, I was like, dude, I grew up listening to your band. Like, I really think it's fucked that you're talking a bunch of shit, you know? Yeah. And in my head, I'm thinking, like, we're going to fuck you up musically. Like, not that we're bad Doom, but like, we're way more, we're going to, we're fucking pissed right now, dude, and we're going to be way more <laughs> brutal than whatever it was that you were fucking fighting against, you know? And so it was weird, you know? And, 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 and like, you know, going over to places, like, not even in Europe, but, like, other parts of the U.S., but, like, going to places that were, like, not necessarily um, open to those kind of, you know, like, we, like, because we, you know, like, it was like, well, we are you know, we grew up, like, listening to Nation Ulysses, and we, you know, and even, like, bands like Born Against. But I remember going to Europe, especially, and people, like, didn't really know Born Against was. And I remember, like, meeting all those guys and refused who like fucking had X's and, and hoodies and sounded like pretty typical to me, you know, yeah. and, you know, and like, I remember being like, I remember swing kids playing with them at this festival and people were like, you know, like swing kids were the fucking fags and the fucking, you know, the, like the lame band or like the fucking stupid band. And it's like, well, that's, I guess like, yeah. Cause I don't want to be like everybody else here. You know, I don't want to be like, vegan reich or like whatever the fucking shit was like that was acceptable you know and it was like all right well fuck you again like yeah you're not a neo-nazi you're you're you not that you're just as bad but you're just as fucking like conservative and like lame and boring and yeah you know like you know and then eventually people catch on to shit and they're like oh okay like that's cool or whatever you know i mean it's it is what it is but i don't know it's weird like it's weird to kind of like without realizing it like being like a little bit ahead of the game or maybe a little bit to the left of the right of the game and like having to like prove yourself or like just like find a like a comfortable place to fit in you know like yeah not even fit in but like be accepted you know of course and i mean um i i could honestly listen to you all day man and i know that sounds cheesy as shit but like fuck it i could listen to these kind of stories all day you could but i don't want to hold you all day which i could um <laughs> but like what's the future what i mean you've all you i hope you always have something on the go and i'm pretty sure you have but what's the future 
I, I don't know. I mean, I wish I had an answer. You know, I yeah. mean, it's it's like fucking especially in the last few months man and like it's crazy i'm feeling so much more anxiety and it seems everything seems so much more hostile but i really do think that maybe we need to experience that to get to the next you know like another i guess like a better place i don't know it's weird maybe maybe no i I feel i feel like you know maybe we have to live through this shit to kind of get to a point where like we're settled again you know i've I've been so lucky in, in a sense to have kind of like everything socially be sort of okay in my childhood but now i'm kind of worried like that's the problem it's just okay you know but yeah, like now true. it's like well now there's like fucking neo-fascist and like that and like white supremacy is like normal and acceptable again it's like oh fuck man like we're back to that shit you know like i mean it's like when i was a kid you would it was acceptable to be a fucking white supremacist and now for whatever reason, it's acceptable again, and so it's like, fuck. All right, well, let's get let's get back to fighting, you know, because we were getting kind of like complacent and lazy, and I think that Maybe. I wish I knew what the future held, you know. I mean, fuck, I'm smarter, we're smarter. Hopefully, like, hopefully we won't have to repeat it and go like through the same kind of shit that like, you know, even like what people went through in the '80s, you know, like struggling for civil rights or or fighting against some you know certain oppre- forms of oppression. But like, I don't know. It's weird. I wish I knew what the future held. <laughs> it's, it's, if I if I did, I would be fucking super prepared. But... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's even it's even weirder now though. It's like there's no like around now either. You kind of have those fucking weird fascist fucks, or you have like you kind of have like ultra left wing people. But there's no middle ground, especially in like in the UK anyway. The UK is weird right now, man. Like you don't I have. Can imagine. It's so odd. You have like like the Brexit vote, for example. You have the people that are just like that's a fucking stupid idea or you have people who are like that's a great idea and it's like there's no one in the middle that goes well let's think about it like is this yeah, a great idea yeah. but it's like maybe you're right maybe we got lazy i don't, I, I hope not but maybe we need to something but the brexit situation is very similar to what we're experiencing with the trump administration maybe oh, God, not, yeah, I, yeah. I don't want to like say one's worse or more you know intense but like they're very similar in so many ways and it's one of the maybe, same yeah but maybe we don't need moderate like thinking like hey you know this is cool like we can come together because uh, it's really weird how people do like think it's acceptable to be a fucking fascist or be racist or to be you know oppressive like it's not acceptable so like i don't want to be like super left and be like no like no fuck them you know but like at the same time it's like i don't know it's it's crazy like i can't i can only tolerate so many people trying to defend why they hate people from arab countries <laughs> yeah know? like there's no fucking logic in that like um, no you know and i don't know it's weird man it's weird but the the goal is to not be reactive um and and the goal is to be able to try to find a way to communicate and that's the problem how people communicate you know because once you start fucking screaming at someone else's face no one's listening even when you're screaming you're not no. going to listen to that so you know, I mean, I guess fortunately for you and I, we have we have art as a way of communication, and and maybe that will that won't necessarily be the thing that changes the world, but that will be like an effective form of communication that we can use as like a platform to maybe speak or get ideas across, or even to communicate on levels that we're not even aware of. You know, like um, yeah, yeah, of you know, course, like, con- like you know, like um, just sharing of energy. You know, like. Uh, I don't know. There's just so many different aspects that that it could be tied to that maybe we aren't even aware of. So yeah, I mean, you're right in what you're saying in terms of like communication side of things. It's like 
but like shows that I go to recently just seem to be a bit more like together. It's kind of like we know things are shit, but we got tonight effectively. That that kind sure. of communication, you know, which is cool. But um, but anyway, um, I want to kind of thank you for coming on. Um, of course, and literally chatting to me because it's it's great for me I, I grew up on like everything you've done and I'm, I'm still growing up with it so um to actually chat it's it's just been really nice for me from my side uh, thanks man i appreciate it I mean, it was great talking to you too and, I, and i'm i'm psyched to be able to communicate someone especially someone from you know so far away um i think that it's rad that we can com- communicate and connect uh like this for sure yeah yeah and like you know, it's it's nice that you've been so open to, it. and I want people to know, like, listen to this. You've been like totally open to doing it, and and like not many people are. Like, let's be honest, and I think it's fucking sweet that you did that. So, without gushing, man, because I'm not that kind of guy. Like, fuck it, that that ain't me. But like, thanks, like, massively for doing it. It means a lot. Of course. Well, thanks for having me. That means just as much. You know, I mean, like, fuck. I'm glad that someone's interested. You know. <laughs> Always will be, my man. Always will be. Brad, um, Brad thank you. So before you go, um, I think I've been doing and asking everyone uh, to name two pieces of your work for maybe a stranger who maybe hasn't heard of you uh, or maybe hasn't heard your artwork, your music, or what you do. What would be the two songs or the two pieces of work that you've done that you would recommend to a total stranger and why would you choose it? Oh, man. Damn, that's a tough one. <laughs> um, I don't know because I think that there's so many different things that I'm trying to get across. So it's really hard to find that one or like that two things. Like so. Well, okay, I'm not gonna. I'll answer the question, but um, <laughs> what I would like to say is like I would rather just chance the fate of like you know, potentially get, you know, connecting with someone or like having someone discover what I've been part of, you know, Good answer. um, chance would be great because it's all, all of this stuff beyond, I think what we're even capable of thinking or uh, re- realizing. So anyhow, there's that. But if you want me to pick two things, I think like off the top of my head, maybe like, ah, oh, shit, I don't know. <laughs> the, maybe like, like, the locus AOT KPTA because I think that musically and structurally it's kind of a little bit challenging and it also it also moves um, yeah. so it has different kind of like a, a different vibe um, from the start to the end and then maybe I would say something like Retox um, let's not keep in touch because it is almost like more mainstream. I guess, or, or like more digestible. Um, so yeah. like, uh, people could maybe connect to that. Um, but there's like the message too. Like, what about the messages? I, you know, I don't know, like I'm trying, I'm trying to think of like a more, um, musical or, or artistic kind of like side, but then there's like, well, what about like the lyrics or what about like, you know, so there's like that other aspect too. It's like, I don't know. So it's it's a fucking really hard question. That's like that's like someone asked me what my favorite band is of all time. Like that, <laughs> that's just not gonna happen, you know. I mean, I have different favorite bands for different reasons, and I, yeah. and I you know, that I think that's that might be worth more value than than the actual choices. But and there you go. There's my answer, I guess. Good, awesome. Well, thanks cool. as always, Thank man. Thank you. No Thank problem. You. Episode four done. There we have it. Justin Pearson. Wowza. Awesome. So. I hope everyone really enjoyed it. 
Uh, I loved doing that interview. It was absolutely wicked. One of the best conversations I've had um, in life, let alone just on the podcast. I mean, I'm, I'm talking sort of away from that. And I really felt it showcased it just in, in the right way and the way that he is as a person. Um, came across really well in that interview, I think. So I hope you stick around for the next interview, um, which is going to be in two weeks. It's every second Monday. I decided to change it up a little bit for you because I think these artists deserve time for their stories to be heard. And I'm aware that time's precious for people like yourself and for me as well. And sometimes setting aside like an hour and 15 minutes just to have that listening time is difficult. But if you've done that and you've got to the end of this, thank you very much. I really appreciate the time and the effort you put in to listen to it. Um, I just hope that it's been as rewarding as I'm intending it to be. I'll see you soon with some shorts and I'll also see you soon with an interview. Cool. Thank you very much.